0: In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will all the children up through the 12th grade please come forward. Do you consider yourself children? I should have said teens, huh? I'm a child. Oh, you're a child. <laughs> you're not a teen. You're almost a teen, right? Almost a teen. So, <clears throat> does anybody know what feast day in the life of the church this might be? Thanksgiving. Saint Stephen's? Nope. No Thanksgiving. Oh, Thanksgiving. Oh, no, nothing. Well, no, it is Thanksgiving, but that's not the feast day I'm talking about. It's the last Sunday of the year. We've gone through everything that Jesus has lived through, everything that Jesus has taught us all year long, and this is the last Sunday of the year. What do you think we should do on this Sunday? Party. Party. <laughs> Celebrate Jesus as what does this look like right here? King. As King. Christ the King Sunday, today is. We, after everything we've done, we're talking about how the way Jesus walked and talked and, 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 and just did all the wonderful things he's done, today we celebrate Jesus as the king of the world, as the king of the heavens forever and ever. That's who Jesus is. You know, in our human lives, when we think of kings, do we have a king in our country no, we don't have a king, do we? But some countries do, don't they? I've been watching a series called The Last Kingdom. Um, I don't recommend it sometimes, but, uh, uh, it's a, uh, but it reminds me of all the kingdoms fighting the other kingdoms. And they all had their own kings. This is over in England before it became England. And one kingdom's fighting another, and they're, and, they're, and they're killing everybody. And You know, when I think of kings, I don't like to think of that. But when I think of Jesus as king, Jesus has a tremendous love that we can't even begin to imagine, not just for, for, you know, everybody in heaven, but for each and every one of us. That's the kind of kingship that I love and respect. That's the kind of kingship that I'm glad we have in the church. Jesus has told us he is our king, and we celebrate his kingship the kind that, that makes all the difference in the world. I'm glad he's king. And I'm glad that he will be king, not just today and tomorrow, but forever. He will be king forever and ever. And that's why we are called to have a relationship with him, to get to know him, to love him, because as, as servants of the king, we are to bow down before him, and then he lifts us up and he says, You are my child. That's the kind of king we have. Remember that, okay? All right. Thank you for coming up today. Thank you. Father Michael, you're own brother. Father, not brother, father.
1: Father, brother. Been called weirder things. I would just feel like you should go home after a good children's sermon like that. Like let's just all go home. We've heard the gospel. My name is Father Michael. I'm the Associate Rector and Youth Minister here at St. Timothy's Anglican Church. As I said, I'm going to do my best to follow up that great children's sermon. Today is Christ the King Sunday. I want to say welcome to any newcomers we have here this morning. I just want to let you know that in the narthex or the lobby of our church, there's a welcome desk. And on that welcome desk, we have some folders or some packets, and inside is a little bit about the church and uh, what we have going on here and our ministries that we're involved with. If you do have any questions, don't hesitate to come up to myself or the other clergy or leaders here, and we will do our best to answer your question. If you are new here this Sunday, perhaps it's your first Sunday worshiping at a liturgical church that follows, as Father Stan alluded to, the church calendar. Uh, It is Christ the King Sunday. It's the final Sunday, the last Sunday of the church calendar year. Next Sunday, we begin with Advent 1. And Advent is the season that walks us through and prepares our hearts to experience Chris- uh, Christmas. And the fact that Jesus Christ, and celebrate the Incarnation, how we came into this world. And then we celebrate 12 days of Christmas. That's where we get the song, and there were 12 days of Christmas, and my true love said to me. No, nope, not going to sing it all. Then after Christmas, we have Epiphany. And Epiphany is this wonderful, wonderful season where we celebrate the fact that the light has come into the world, and it's all about world mission and evangelism and celebrating the truth of what it means that Christ came into this world. After Epiphany, we have Lent, and Lent is the season where we prepare our hearts to experience Holy Week, and Holy Week is my favorite week of the year. It's chock full of wonderful services, Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and Easter and celebrating the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And after Easter, we have the season of Eastertide. And at the end of Eastertide, we have Pentecost. And Pentecost is the day where we celebrate the Holy Spirit coming down on the apostles. And it's often called the birthday of the church. So once we've walked through the life and the death and the resurrection and the birthday of the church, we then enter into what's called ordinary time. Ordinary time follows all the other church seasons where we have celebrated the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We then focus on in his teachings And what his word has for us. And how we are to apply those to our own individual lives. And at the end of all of that, we have Christ the King Sunday. The culmination of everything in saying Christ is King. Our scripture lessons that we set aside for Christ the King Sunday reflect this. Brothers and sisters, we could spend a lifetime studying just these four verses and the truths that they have for us, but there's three that I just want to pull out for us this morning that I feel like are especially pertinent to our walks as disciples of Jesus Christ, as members of the church, that apply to us. And they're that Jesus' kingship, his kingship is of this world. Jesus' kingship is of this world, and the second point is that Jesus' kingship is not of this world. It's of this world, and it's not of this world. And Jesus' kingship, as Father Stan alluded to, is forever. Of this world, not of this world, and forever. If you do have a Bible, I encourage you to get your Bible and have that in front of you. If you want to use the uh, scripture insert, the bulletin, or the one you find in your bulletin, I encourage you to have that in front of you. We're going to be jumping between the various scripture verses this morning, so it might be easier to have the bulletin insert in front of you, feel free to take notes, you know, do whatever you need to do. That is, you get to take that home with you. We're going to begin, we're going to begin with the end. So we're going to be in the book of Revelation. Just in case you're wondering, it is just one revelation. It's not revelations, it's just one revelation. So if you ever hear a brother or sister say, it's a book of revelations, just gently correct them. It's just one. Revelation 1, 4 through 8. I'm just going to read it here. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who was and who is and who is to come. And from the seven spirits that are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom priests, serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and on his account all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. If you've spent a little bit of time studying church history, specifically early church history, you will know that there were a number of crimes that Christians were accused of. These were crimes that, that citizens of the Roman Empire and lived in during that day and age would accuse Christians of as, uh, as an attempt to uh, persecute them and put them to death. Uh, one crime that Christians were accused of was incest. It's based on a Christian practice that you and I do every Sunday. We embrace each other with the peace of the Lord. This comes from the scripture verse where Paul says to greet each other with the kiss of peace. And we call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ. And so people in the Roman Empire says, well, their God tells us to tell them to kiss their brother and kiss their sister. Well, that sounds weird. Must be incest. That was one crime that they were accused of in an attempt to persecute and kill Christians in the Roman Empire. The second... One of the many crimes, the second crime that Christians were often accused of, was cannibalism. Whenever Jesus Christ says to eat his flesh and to drink his blood, and what we know to be true what happens at the altar every time we celebrate the Eucharist, we eat his flesh and to drink his blood. And we as Anglicans don't kind of get bogged down in specifically what happens at the table. We take Jesus' words at face value, where he says, this is my body and this is my blood, and we believe Jesus when he says things. We're way more involved with uh, what happens when we take communion and the incredible spiritual benefit that we get when we eat his flesh and we drink his blood. But in the early church days, whenever we talked about eating flesh and drinking blood, whenever they talked about doing so, many Christians were accused of cannibalism. And as such, the many were put to death because of that. Another crime that Christians were often accused of, one that applies to Christ the King Sunday and, pri- and applies to us today is the crime of treason. See, in the Roman Empire days, and many empires since then have copied this uh, strategy. Is whenever the Roman Empire would come in and they would conquer a specific country or kingdom or province, uh, the Roman Empire wouldn't remove the local ruler. What they would do is they would appoint a Roman governor that would uh, enforce the policies of the Roman Empire, and then the local ruler would be in charge of enacting those policies. It was an incredibly successful policy. It's why the Roman Empire lasted for so long. But it was commonly understood as that those governors and those local rulers were absolutely under the authority of the Roman Empire or the Roman Emperor specifically. The Roman Emperor eventually became thought to be a divine being and whenever he died, he joined, and he joined his place rightfully with the gods. And so for Christians to say, as it says in the fifth chapter of, or fifth chapter, excuse me, the fifth verse of our reading from Revelation, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, where they were asserting that Jesus Christ is king over even Caesar, And that got them in trouble, and they were accused of treason. It was true then, and it is true now, Jesus Christ is still ruler over all the kings and over all the governments of this world. He is reigning still, and he is sovereign still. Now, you and I, brothers and sisters, have the incredible blessing and the incredible benefit of living in a fantastic country called the United States of America, and we do not have to fear the United States government trying to round up all the Christians and putting us all to death. However, Satan is good at his job. And Satan is tricky. And so, uh, instead of trying to kill the Christians, what he will do is he will try to say, oh, well, these things that are in your life, clearly these are important. And he will try to give them to have them have more authority in your life than the authority that Jesus Christ should have in his rightful place as king in your own life. And these things that he will use are not necessarily bad things. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your hobby. The list is long, and Satan's not afraid of using whatever he can to say, I'm going to take the authority that Jesus Christ should have in your life, and I'm going to place it somewhere else. But what the book of Revelation teaches us and what the rest of Scripture teaches us is that Jesus Christ is king of this world and don't misunderstand me brothers and sisters your family and your jobs and your hobbies are all wonderful things but whenever we begin to give those things more authority than what is rightfully jesus's authority that's when we run into a problem but thanks be to god there is grace and there is forgiveness and we can come back to jesus time and time again but on a sunday like christ the king sunday we should be especially uh, vigilant for those things in our life that might be taking authority away from what is rightfully Jesus' authority. Jesus' kingship is of this world. Jesus' kingship is also not of this world. We're going to be looking at John 18, through 37. And I'll read it to you as quickly as I can here. And it says, Then Pilate entered the headquarters again summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and your own chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. You see, one of the crimes crimes that Jesus was uh, killed for was the crime of saying he was the king of the Jews, that he is the rightful king. But what Jesus is alluding to here, he's saying not only my king over this world, that's what is absolutely true what we find in the book of Revelation, what he's also saying is my kingdom is also not of this world. I'm king of heaven as well as of earth. I'm king over everything that was, I'm king over everything that is, and I'm also king over everything that will be. Those of us who have lost loved ones know that scripture teaches us that they are with Jesus Christ right now, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And Jesus Christ is reigning in heaven with the saints that have gone before us. And it is an absolute blissful future that you and I get to look forward to, brothers and sisters. Those of us who are still on our pilgrimage one day will join the saints in glory. But that's not the only future. That's not the only, not of this world that Jesus Christ is king over. There is will be a day, brothers and sisters, when Jesus' earthly kingdom and Jesus' heavenly kingdom will be joined together in a glorious recreation, a new creation. There will be a new heavens and a new earth, and there will be a new Jerusalem, and Jesus Christ will be king over it all. And we won't even need the sun because God's glory will be enough light for us, and we will get to spend an eternity with our king, ruling justly, and ruling perfectly, so whenever Jesus Christ is saying that my kingdom is not of this world, that is the future that he is alluding to. So whenever we look at the turbulent times of this world, we can rest in the confident knowledge that Jesus Christ is king and he will be king over our ultimate future and the victory is already won, it's already secure. And so on Christ the King Sunday, we remember that and we take comfort in that ultimate and joyful and hopeful future. Jesus Christ, his kingship is not of this world. His kingship is also forever. We're going to end with the beginning, the earliest scripture verse we have in our selection of readings. We're going to be in 2 Samuel. This is uh, not the actual last words of Jesus. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as the last oracle of, uh, excuse me, of King David. Not the last words of King David. These are sometimes referred to as the last oracles of King David. However, they were important enough for the person who collected Second Samuel to include them at the end. So it's absolutely important for us to have and to study. And specifically, it refers to the benefit that we have from the Davidic covenant. How Jesus Christ being the son of David applies to this everlasting covenant. Let's read verse 3. It begins with, the God of Israel has spoken. I know you don't have verse numbers in your bulletin. It says, the God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, one who rules over people justly, ruling in the fear of God is like the light of the morning, like the sun rising on a cloudless night, excuse me, on a cloudless morning, gleaming from the rain on the grassy land. Is not my house like this with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. Will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? Those of you who know me know that I uh, love history, consider myself a student of history, constantly wanting to learn more about it. One of my favorite podcasts that I listen to is a history podcast. I probably have mentioned it in a sermon before but it's done by a gentleman by the name of Mike Duncan. It's the Revolutions podcast, and what he does is he takes these uh, revolutions that have occurred throughout history, and he talks about them and the impact they've had on the world. He's done the French Revolution, he's done the Mexican Revolution, he's done the Haitian Revolution. There's a whole list of revolutions that he's walked through. The one he's currently doing is actually on the Russian Revolution, talking about how there once was the Russian Empire ruled by the Tsars of Russia, and how what came out of the Russian Revolution, became known as the Soviet Union, right? And one of the many things that attributed to the fall of the Russian Empire was the age of the last Tsar of Russia. The last Tsar of Russia was a gentleman by the name of Tsar Nicholas II. And the Russian Empire was an absolute monarchy, so there was the king and he was absolutely in charge of his empire. And absolute monarchies uh, can be a very efficient way to get things done. They can also be a very bad system if things do not go well or if you have a bad person in charge. And the problem specifically for Tsar Nicholas II is that he came to power at the wrong time, right? So if you have a monarchy, you want one of two things to happen, right? You want your king or queen that's in charge to die at the right time. You either want them to die the next person in line to be 40, 50, 60 years old and they've had their entire lifetime to get ready for their kingship or queenship, depending on what country you're talking about, or you want them to die and the next person in line to be like three, so that there can be a state council and they can put regents in place and they can have people in charge that know how to rule until that person is ready to get in charge. What happened with Tsar Nicholas II is he came to power whenever he was 22 years old. Can you imagine being in charge of a, king, a kingdom that spans its like 11 or 12 time zones when you're 22 years old? I didn't even know how to like, really file my taxes whenever I was 22 years old. <laughs> Let alone be in charge of one of the largest kingdoms ever known to humanity. The point I'm trying to make is that whenever we look at something like the Russian Revolution, and we look at something like Tsar Nicholas II, we are reminded of truly how fragile governments and kingdoms and regimes are, right? These earthly authorities that are placed here, how fragile they truly are. And then if we we take those and we take something like the Russian Revolution and all the revolutions that have ever occurred in history, and we compare them to the everlasting covenant the everlasting kingship of Jesus Christ and how he fulfills that promise that God made to David all of those years ago and how there will always be a king and now we have a king and he will reign justly and he will reign perfectly and he will reign forever. There will never be an end to his reign. If you sit and you try to wrap your mind around how truly vast eternity is going to be and how Jesus Christ will reign over it all it can be mind-blowing at the same time though it should be extremely comforting there will never be an end to his perfect there will never be an end to his perfect rule and what a comfort and a hope That should be for us when we look at the news and we hear about riots and things going on in not only our own country, but in countries across the world and coup d'etats and all these things that are happening. Over it all is the wonderful, perfect, everlasting kingship of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray heavenly father thank you so much for the promise that your word gives us and for the comfort that we should have as you as our king i pray that you can help us be mindful of that as we enter into the holiday season that you are king over everything and you are king of this world and you have a kingdom that is also not of this world and over all of that you will reign forever Be with us all and keep us safe from all assaults of the enemy. And we pray this all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.